0: In Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he began by unfolding God's purpose, conceived in a past eternity before the foundation of the world, to create a single human race through the death and resurrection of Christ, and ultimately to unite the whole church and the whole creation under Christ's leadership. That plan included the equal position between Jew and Gentile, For the days of division and discrimination have gone, and now a brand new oneness has emerged through Christ Jesus. The one Father has one family, the Saviour Messiah one people, and the one Spirit one body. However, they must demonstrate their unity in Christian fellowship, while using their gifts in ministry, as we heard last week from Roy. They must put away all pre-conversion behaviour and live a life of true righteousness and holiness, submitting to one another and promoting harmony in their homes. It seems easy, doesn't it? But in these verses, Paul brings us down to earth with a bang. He reminds us of the opposition for beneath the surface A spiritual battle is arising, or raging even. He holds no bars, but informs us of the tricks of the devil, already mentioned in chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 4, 27, and to the principalities and powers at his command. We're not told how they came into being. It is rather assumed and accepted. All we must do is be aware of them and learn how to overcome them. You see, if God has a plan, then the evil one has an imposing one to destroy it or try to. Despite God's plan to unite and redeem people, the evil one will scatter seeds of discord and sin, and we need to be aware and armed. The atmosphere is that of imminent battle, a battle that will not cease until end of life or of history when the peace of heaven is realized. Our translations use the word finally, However, the word should be henceforward, meaning for the remaining time. So while we have the victory through Christ's victory over the cross and grave, this peace we now have will be against a relentless struggle against evil. And for this, the strength of the Lord and the armour of God are indispensable. Many a general in war has respect for their enemy, trying to understand their opposition and even predict their strategy. So we too must never underestimate our spiritual enemy and we must put on God's armor for our human strength is not enough. Paul gives us a full and frightening description of the forces against us in verse 12. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you take that all in? Have you ever considered this before? Are you aware of spiritual warfare even? One of my favorite books of fiction is called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. It is a book about Christians being attacked and accused of horrendous crimes and how to fight against this spiritual warfare. Demons are out to cause trouble and harm. However, in the end, good triumphs over evil. Amen. Hallelujah. In Paul's time, they believed implicitly in demons and devils and evil spirits. And they believed that the air was filled with them all, all determined to cause harm. The word Paul uses to describe them, powers, authorities, world rulers, are the names the different classes of these evil spirits and demons. To Paul, the whole universe was a battleground where the Christian not only had to face the attacks of fellow humans, but also the attacks of spiritual forces which were fighting against God. No doubt Paul's ancient readers remembered the Jewish exorcists in Ephesus who attempted to release an evil spirit in the name of Jesus without knowing the Jesus in whose name they used. Where instead of succeeding, they were overpowered by the demonic, and fled in panic, naked and battered. Acts 19 verses 13 to 17. We must remember Paul's Ephesian converts had previously dabbled in the occult and they made a public bonfire of all the valuable books of magic and to such a direct challenge to the forces of evil Will have not gone ignored, Acts 19, verses 18 to 20. These demons and present darkness are still around us, so we should be on our guard. We need to know that they have no morals, no code of honour, and no feelings. They are unscrupulous and ruthless in the pursuit of their malicious designs and desires. They are also cunning. Paul writes of the wills of the devil having previously declared we are not ignorant of his schemes. You see, the devil rarely attacks openly, preferring darkness to light. And when he transforms himself into an angel of light, we are caught unsuspecting. John Stott says he is a dangerous wolf, but enters Christ's flock in the disguise of a sheep. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but more often he is as subtle as a serpent. He continues, The wiles of the devil take many forms, but he is at his wireless when he succeeds in persuading people that he does not exist. To deny his reality is to expose ourselves more to his subtlety. Dr. Lord Jones is quoted as saying, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. We are ignorant of this great objective fact. Be the being of his existence the adversary, the accuser and his fiery darts Paul sees the powers of darkness as powerful, wicked and cunning, so how can we expect to stand up against such enemies it would seem like an impossible task for we are far too weak only the power of God can defend and deliver us for the evil of the devil and his dominions It is in his power which raised Jesus from the dead and enthroned him in the heavenly places. These powers were defeated at the cross and now under Christ's feet and ours. So this invisible world in which they attack and we defend is the very world in which Christ reigns over them and we reign with him. You see, when Paul urges us to draw upon the power, might and strength of the Lord Jesus... He is using the same trio of words which he has used in chapter 1, verse 19, dynamis, kratos, and ischus, in relation to God's work of raising Jesus from the dead. But we must not be complacent as in verse 11. Paul tells us that we should put on the whole armour of God. We need both to combat, combat the evil one. Chained to a Roman soldier night and day, And ensuring that he does not escape he sees the analogy between what we need and what they wore and uses this visual image like Jesus did of farmers shepherds crops even and other visual things around him Paul details six main pieces of a soldier's equipment the belt the breastplate the sandals the shield the helmet and the sword and uses them as pictures of the truth righteousness, good news of peace, faith, salvation, and word of God, which equip us in our fight against the powers. Firstly, there is the belt of truth, usually made of leather. It was a belt which gathered up the soldier's tunic together, and from which his sword hung, which gave him freedom of movement when marching. Others may guess and grope the Christian moves freely and quickly because in any situation, he knows the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised and alive today. However, it can also mean being honest, sincere, or full of integrity. Certainly God requires both, truth in the outward being, and the Christian must always be honest and truthful, whereas to be deceitful is to resort to playing the devil's game. Whether Paul meant the truth of knowing Jesus Christ or that of always speaking the truth, it is to both we must pursue. The second item of the Christian's armour is the breastplate of righteousness. Some expositors have maintained that in God's armour, that while the chest is protected, the back is left exposed. So we must face our enemy with courage and not to run from him exposing our unprotected back. John Bunyan, in Pilgrim's Progress, written in the 1600s, made this point when Christian reached the Valley of Humiliation. He writes, He saw a foul friend coming over the hill to meet him, whose name was Apollyon. Then Christian became afraid and wondered if to go back or to stand his ground. When he considered that he had no armour for his back, and that would give him an advantage... With ease to pierce him with darts, he decided to stand his ground. However, in saying this, the soldier's breastplate often covered his back and front, protecting all his most vital organs. When we are clothed in righteousness, we are impregnable. Words are no defence against accusations, but a good life is. Plato was once accused of certain crimes and sins, his response was that he should live a life in such a way as to prove that his accusations were a lie. There were the sandals. The sandals were the sign of one equipped and ready to move. The sign of the Christian is that he is eager to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with others, always ready to take the good news of Christ to those who have not heard it. This generally agreed that Paul had in mind the caliga half-boot of the Roman legionary, which was made of leather and which left the toes free. They had heavy studded soles and was tied to the ankles and shins with ornamental straps. These equipped the soldier for long marches and strong stance. Now the Christian soldiers' sandals are the equipment of the gospel of peace. They are to give us a firm footing. So we need to keep our gospel sandals strapped on as the devil fears and hates the gospel because it is God's power to rescue people from his tyranny. Our fourth piece of armour is the shield and the word Paul uses here is not the word for the small round shield but rather the great oblong shield which which the heavily armed warrior used. It was 1.2 metres long and 0.75 wide, covering the whole person. It consisted of two layers of wood glued together and covered first with linen and then with hide. It was bound with iron above and below and was designed specially to put out the dangerous arrows dipped in pitch, which were lit and fired. So what then are the flaming darts of the evil one? And with what shield can we protect ourselves? No doubt the devil's darts include his accusations over false guilt. Other darts could be disobedience, rebellion, lust, anger, or fear. But there is a shield which will quench or extinguish all fire-tipped darts. It is the shield of faith. And God himself is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30 verse 5. And it is by faith that we flee to him for refuge. You see, faith lays hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and depression. And faith lays hold of the power of God in times of temptation. Napoleon taunted, taunted Christian with a threat. Here I will spill thy soul. And with that, Bunyan continues. He threw a flaming dart at his breast, but Christian had a shield in his hand with which he caught it, and so prevented the danger of that. It is the Roman soldier's helmet next. It was usually made of a tough metal like bronze or iron. Inside, a lining of felt or sponge made the weight bearable, where only an axe or sword could pierce the heavy helmet. And in some cases, a hinged visor added frontal protection. According to an earlier statement from Paul, the Christian soldier's helmet is the hope of salvation, meaning our assurance of future and final salvation. Here it is the helmet of salvation which we are to take and wear. We will be wise to consider that salvation is not something which looks back only. Salvation is not just of past sins, it means strength to do with all the future attacks of sin. The salvation which is in Christ gives us forgiveness of the sins of the past and strength to conquer sin in the days to come. The sixth and last weapon to be mentioned is the sword. Of all the six pieces, this is the only one that is used for attack as well as defence. It is a short sword so that the encounter will be close. Now the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And could be the words of defense and testimony which Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would put into his followers lips when they were dragged before the magistrates, Matthew 10, 17 to 20. However, it is God's scripture, God's written word, <coughs> Excuse me, whose origin is the Holy Spirit. It is still active today where the word of God can cut through people's defenses to prick their consciences and stab them spiritually awake. But he also puts his sword into our hands so that we may use it to resist temptation as Jesus did in the wilderness and in evangelism. You or I may not be an evangelist but if you've given your life to Jesus you know the cutting power of God's word and though it is sharper than any two-edged sword so we must be never ashamed to use it. I read that Cromwell's Ironsides fought with sword in one hand and the Bible in the other. Know this, we can never defeat God's enemies or win God's battles without God's book. Here then are the six pieces which make up the whole armour of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel sandals, the shield of faith, salvation's helmet, and the spirit's sword. God supplies it, but it is for us to take it up and put it on and fight against the powers of evil. And we must put it all on because our enemies are on every side and so must our armour be. Finally, Paul adds prayer, which is the greatest weapon of all. But he gives us good advice here because it must be first, sorry, but it first must be constant, not just a quick arrow prayer when we need a car parking space or time of crisis. It is from daily prayer that comes the daily strength needed to remain a Christian. It is with perseverance because, like good soldiers, we need to keep alert and neither give up or fall asleep. And it must be unselfish and for all God's saints, both Jew and Gentile. God's new society, which has been the main thrust throughout this letter. Most Christians pray sometimes. But what if we were to replace sometimes with all times? Now that would be a powerful thing. Returning to Pilgrim's Progress. When Christian faced the valley of the shadow of death and saw flame and smoke and heard hideous noises, that he was forced to put up his sword and call upon another weapon called all prayer. So he cried out, O Lord, deliver my soul. In his closing remarks, Paul knows his limitations and asks for prayer for himself. Prayer that is needed to enable him to tell God's secret, that God's love God's love is for all men and women in all the world. We have a church prayer diary with our church family names set on days. If you've not got it, please email me and I'll send it to you. You see, we all need to pray for each other and to bless each other. Today's date is the 18th. So please, in silence, pray with me now for Fay and Anna Khan, Pam Machal and Jacob Macaulay. Amen.